this is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Hot Four podcast. Now, a couple of years ago, I was at an entrepreneurial conference in London, as you do, um, after which we went in search of some locally produced beer. After a few twists and turns and not being able to find this particular place we were looking for, we ended up in a traditional pub with an array of cask beers on, one of which was Fuller's London Pride. Now, I've had this beer before on plenty of occasions in bottle, but never in cask, and I have to say, the condition was excellent. The flavours were just amazing. And it was one of those beers that you appreciated more and more with every single pint you had. And I can assure you, I had plenty of them. And now you can probably not only see, but hear the elephant in the room as I'm saying this. Yes, I am referring to Fuller Smith & Turner's sale of the brewing business to Asahi Europe for a sum of £250 million. Obviously, there's been mixed reaction over beer Twitter. Nowhere near to the degree that Beaver Town's minority stake to Heineken stirred up controversy, but definitely more than for Pure's sale to Lion. And I've been considering why this is. Firstly, I think Pete Brown put it ever so eloquently on his blog last week, so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. And I refer you to his website, which is petebrown.net, to read the article. However, I do think there's a sense of sadness around the sale. I guess it's almost like a relative dying. Kind of like your grand dying, where she was old and getting on, you know what I mean? And you kind of, you know it's coming, that they're not going to live forever. And when they move on, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, that it's sad, but I kind of knew it was coming. Although, I guess the difference with this is that we didn't know it was coming. Um, so you still had that little bit of shock, like, man, grand died. And, man, she was 85, and I didn't think she was going to die just yet, but I thought she was going to die at some point. It's that, I guess it's that kind of vibe. Um, and I guess because Fuller's ESB inspired beers like Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale or Goose Island's Honkers Ales, which were two sort of like flagship beers of their time, um, and then those beers in turn inspired brewers from across the world, it kind of tarnishes the quote-unquote narrative of craft beer, but I think it's also it's very easy to get sentimental about it all. I mean, at the end of the day, it is business. And if Fuller Smith & Turner are in the real estate business, which is infinitely more profitable than manufacturing beer, then it's fair play. I think story and narrative play a massive part of beer heritage and the modern craft beer movement in particular. But nobody gets so tight when an independent shampoo maker sells their brand to L'Oreal or some kind of keyboard spasm when a chocolatier sells half their company to Kraft. But consumers feel a strange sense of allegiance to particular brands of beer, like entitlement to their breweries and an affinity with their brewers. So it's no wonder that people get, at best, a bit saddened and, at worst, majorly offended when sales and buyouts occur. People buy into narrative and story of breweries for all kinds of reasons. Story is a strong, compelling, motivating factor. 
much more than merely marketing a product. So there's, there's power in a good story, which is why I'm really excited to be sharing today's interview with you. I caught up with Dan Packett to chat about his latest venture, the brewery of St. Mars of the Desert. Dan and his wife Martha have been involved in brewing for over a decade and Dan since the early 90s. And they have a really unique, interesting story. So whilst we dig into some questions later on that you might find useful for your own business, I'd very much encourage you to listen to this interview with Dan from the brewery of St. Mars of the Desert with an open mind and an open bottle of beer and just enjoy the ride. And if you like this episode and our other episodes, then subscribe to the podcast, leave us a nice review on iTunes and follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. So without any further ado, let's get into today's episode. I'm here in Attercliffe, Sheffield, in a hidden gem of a place uh, with Dan from the brewery of St. Mars of the Desert. Um, hey, Dan, you all right? Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Firstly, I've got to ask the name. Uh, <laughs> where, where did that come from? It sounds like there's a story right there. Well, there, there is a bit of a story because when we were thinking of, of getting back into the beer business after being out for not too long, a year and a half, we started searching uh, all over the place, really, for, for brewery, first down the east coast of the U.S. and um, here in the U.K., but we spent a lot of time and really had assumed we were going to be end up in Normandy, Pays de la, Pays de la Loire, and, and we found a farm that we loved, was insanely cheap, had, you know, like three-phase electricity, yeah. it had everything we wanted. It was a beautiful sort of 18th-century stone farm with, like, six acres and... Uh, an English garden, like it was, it was crazy, and it was in this, in this village called Saint Mars du Désert, and I think uh. there in east in uh, sorry in western France there are two villages. There's one in Pays de Loire, and there's one in Brittany, and this was Pays de Loire, and and the, well the funny story uh, the funny funny story we have of the, of that name was uh, we were talking to the real estate agent, and we were just trying to get an idea of this one little area around the St. Mars du Désert. And we said, so what is, else is going on around here? Is there anything, you know, because we're kind of near the cheese country, kind of near cider country. And she said, well, it's called St. Mars du Désert, right? <laughs> She's like, do you know St. You, you, do you know Mars? Uh, we were like, yeah. She's like, what's on Mars? We're like, well, rocks, nothing. She said, and you know the desert, right? <laughs> So we're like, all right, we get it. There's nothing going on here. And so uh, that didn't really uh, totally factor into why we didn't do that. I think there was a couple of Brexit issues and a few yeah. other things like that. Um, but we didn't end up doing that. And that name just stuck to the, our project. Even when we were going to open, we thought we were going to open in Asheville, North Carolina. It was still going to be St. Mars of the Desert. So we couldn't find a better name for a brewery that was like more... It, it, it summed up what I am as a brewer, as a bit of an outsider, right. you know, so I like it. There's nothing more outsidery than, <laughs> than, this, <laughs> uh, than this Mars uh, saint of the desert. So. Uh, and I like how it harkened back to the old, um, you know, monastic traditions of beer and all the, all the, all the sorts of uh, traditional uh, uh, parts of beer that I love um, and have, uh, you know, 
uh, I want to continue to bring with me. It's a very quirky name. Um, yeah. I mean, because we, we first met um, back when I worked at Sheffield Brewery Company. Right. And um, and then you sort of went off the grid for a while. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I did wonder, I wonder what happened to, to Dan and set up his brewery. And then um, <laughs> I was in uh, Walkley Beer Co. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nick, who works there, sort of said, oh, you know, have you heard of this new brewery? The brewery is St. Miles of the Desert. And I was like, no. <laughs> he's like, oh, it's this new brewery in Ashcliffe. And then he's like, yeah, it's run by this American guy and this couple. I was like... Right. Oh, okay, so I put the two pieces together, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. um, that's not a name you sort of forget quickly, you know. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I think for, for there was a period where everyone was the something brewing company or the something beer company for yeah. a while, and now yeah. sort of everyone's sort of getting off the wall sort of names. So um, yeah, you know, but it. It's, it does sort of stand out. And um, I think as some of our listeners may have ascertained, just sort of listening to you, 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 you it's not you're not from Rotherham, are you? No, <laughs> where no, about from, from? Barnsley. I'm from uh, originally just sort of midway between New York City and Boston right. in the in the northeast. I'm a New Englander. Yeah, yeah. So oh, you've you've been involved in the brewing industry for what is it, 25 years? Um, well, since '92. So oh, wow, even yeah, longer. a little bit longer than that. Yeah. But um, I did recently take a year off after our last project or yeah. almost two years really so, so why don't you just sort of fill us in with um you know what experience you've got um you know and going back to 1992 all the way back <laughs> okay um all right well uh i was one of those guys in the late 80s who was inspired by the michael jackson series that in the u.s aired on discovery i think it was itv here yeah um and i still crazily I still watch it and I have to use a VPN to watch it because you can't see it because ITV blocks it on YouTube here which is a bit pathetic but um, I still like to go back to that original place where beer was this crazy wonderful thing that I knew nothing about Uh, and I kind of had this epiphany I saw that television program the same week I happened to be in the Boston Public Library and I was bored with my homework that I was doing and I just looked up beer in the the old card catalog and I and I read books about beer in Boston in the, in the library, and I was just fascinated. I had no idea about yeast and malt and hops. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I hardly even drank beer. I wasn't, I, I was more interested in it as how, how it was made than, you know, keg parties mm. at the time, um, <laughs> which is strange, because um, I, I would enjoy a keg party right now. But, um, but uh, so, uh, and then some, one of my dad's friends said, you know, this is place in Boston that you can go and you can look at them brew from behind the glass. And I was like, that can't be. <laughs> and I was only, I was a young person at the time. Maybe I was not a legal drinker, let's put it that way. And, um, but some, miraculously, some girl was walking down the street and she looked at me and she stopped me and she handed me a, license, a driving license that she found as somebody who was 23. Uh, who looked just like me. She found it in a bank machine. Amazing. And instead of mailing it back to him, she decided to look for a young guy. So she gave this to me. And so it was, that was my superpower. I could drink beer, you know. Um, so I went and there's this Commonwealth Brewery in Boston that was opened by English people. And it was making English real ale. And they were, you know, they had a copper copper. It was just like an old English brewery. And, um, so I decided then and there, I want to be a brewer. I'll fast forward a couple of years because I did did uh, go uh, work in New York City in television. Right. Um, but um, that sounds like a whole other yeah, story. Yeah, that is a whole other story. But um, very uh, thankfully, you get you get laid off every November after your television uh, show, uh, series, 
uh, is completed doing a season. So I came, I left New York and came back to Boston, and um, I ended up running um, the local beer newspaper. Bizarrely, I sort of chatted with a guy and. Two weeks later, they moved the entire operation into my apartment. <laughs> um, and that was the point where I started meeting brewers. And I would my favorite thing to do was call around to see, when there was only about 20 breweries in New England, which is where we covered, you would call to find out what new beers people are coming out with. Mm. So I would talk to everyone every month. And I, I would have long chats with Greg Noonan, who I think is probably known here. Um, he wrote a number of uh, brewing books and... He was the inventor of Black IPA. Right. And he became a good friend of mine at the time, and um, eventually, I started. People started saying, "Hey, you want to come and brew? You're, you seem like the most eager person in the world." Because I really was. I was. Uh, I was. I was just a, a, a real enthusiastic convert to craft beer <laughs> at the time, or whatever it was called, good beer. And I didn't have any friends who liked good beer. I was. I was in my own little island as a person. But then when I got into um, Beer and I started working in breweries. I don't. I, I I'd be hard pressed to to name people now who aren't friends from the industry. Like mm, you know. Yeah. Um, my first job was working in what's now would be a, considered a cuckoo brewery. Um, we're at Ipswich Brewery in Massachusetts, which is on the shore. Very beautiful place. I don't know what Ipswich is like here, but uh, <laughs> probably not the same. <laughs> uh, that's what I, I got that impression when I said it. Uh, I've, I've, was I've, it the expression on my face? <laughs> yeah, I've worked in a lot of places like Haverhill. I mean, the, uh, Haverhill. I guess you have it yeah, here, yeah. and of course Boston, and and uh, Cambridge, and yeah. So there's a, there's a few uh, there's a few names like that, but um, uh, I ended up. Oh boy, this this could be a long story, but uh, I ended up working several breweries at once uh, for for quite a long time, you know. And this is, uh, I do remember my first two years of working in in brewing full time, and I made seven thousand, <laughs> just under seven thousand, I think, the first year, and just over seven thousand. Oh my I rem- goodness! I remember, I, uh, I if I had taken like three days off, I would have qualified for welfare (laughs) and I I remember really really hating myself for not doing that at the time Uh, and of course no health insurance and yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's It's not quite as glamorous as it looks on Instagram is it (laughs) no no there was no Instagram I don't know where you would you'd have to look in one of these beer newspapers where we took photographs fuzzy (laughs) photographs and things but um yeah and then uh I went to brewing school in uh Seaboard in Chicago uh, during that time, and uh, I got a bona fide job making over twenty thousand dollars a year, in uh, I think ninety three, ninety no ninety four, um, and uh, I worked. Geez, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over two or three breweries there, and then I got my big break. I got my first head brewer's job. It was at a new opening brew pub in Boston called Northeast Brewing Company, and that's where a lot of that's where I went from being sort of just a guy who worked in a brewery to being like uh, a brewer, I think. Like, yeah. You know, I could formulate my own beers. I could be as ambitious as my bosses could afford. Uh, and they were really good to me. And I, I made, in that brewery, uh, arguably, I made the first sour beers, certainly the first wood age sour beers in the U.S. Mm, wow. Um, and... Uh, 
unfortunately, there's always the unfortunately in, in my whole <laughs> in my whole history. There's the good part, and then then it turns into the bad part. But um, uh, we went out of business uh, because the owners. I think the owners really wanted to be really wealthy from this, and they weren't. So they closed up in two thousand one, and uh I went off on a project to start the first sour beer brewery in the U.S., and it was going to be up in Burlington, Vermont, with a good friend of mine, and the money never came through, because, of course, you know, I've been, I would be lucky to have enough to buy, you know, a record, yeah. <laughs> you know, or a CD, yeah. so a brewery was out of the question. I'm like, damn it, it's the worst thing in the world, you know? Like, brewers, the only people who can't afford to open a brewery. Yeah. Um, and it's so, funny that. <laughs> yeah. So then I started this... Um, Sort of cuckoo sort of thing called Rapscallion, where um, I'm, I'm always trying to do this. I'm always trying to go stylist, but the world doesn't let me go stylist. I'm, try, I'm trying to do it now, but again, the world's thwarted me. But uh, I tried to go stylist, but really with the Belgian. I wanted to be like the Belgians who I knew who are brewing in Belgium. They don't wake up mm. and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my Belgian pale ale today. You know, they're, they're just happily Belgian and doing their thing. Um, and it sort of worked, sort of didn't. It was bottle refermented beer. I think I made one of the first sort of hoppy beers with Belgian yeast back then, um, which was considered weird. Yeah. <laughs> just, just weird. Um, and boy, we had bad luck with that project. The brewery that I was with, we got evicted from two breweries. Oh, no. <laughs> we moved the first one. The second one, we, uh, we kind of had to... Uh, I walked away from it because it, uh, there was... No, going to be no compensation mm. and I, I hadn't been taking money so that was a disaster I was actually living at the brewery and that brewery at the time oh, goodness when we were, well know. like on Saxamol and sleeping yeah, yeah, yeah under my desk I was sleeping under my desk goodness um, that was uh, so losing that was a big deal and I I was I was, uh, I was uh, not a happy camper after that one and I wasn't sure if I was going to get back in the industry and then I got a call from my good friend Todd Mott, who is famous for um, his uh, Russian Imperial Stout in Portsmouth, mm. Kate the Great, when it was, I think, number one beer in the world at one, one stage or another. And he was he was sort of a consultant brewer for a brewery that was opened up in Haverhill, Haverhill, Haverhill Mass, as we would say. And... Um, I took a I took that job and I was like, okay, I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna get back in the I'm back in business, uh, making beer again. Um, and then I met Martha, my mm. wife, at a beer festival, and she was she was a post grad at Harvard, and and I met her at a beer festival, and we decided to get married and move to UK. So she's from the UK, isn't she? She's from yeah, she's from about. An hour and a half north of here, right? North Which will explain why, how, how you met. Yeah, that's that was right. going to be my other question. So I was like, how, how on earth did all this? Come I know. Together? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, we met at a beer at a an English, it's uh, an English beer festival called Nirax, New England Relay okay. ex- Exhibition that is in, used to be in Somerville, Massachusetts. Yep. It's not really where you go to meet women. <laughs> if you wanted to meet like a bearded sixty-year-old man, they're they're everywhere. Um, and and they're and they're they're lovely as well. But I I happened to meet Martha that night. So sounds just like the camera beer festivals over here. It's, you would be shocked. The only difference is that barbecue rather than whatever pies and peas. Yeah, pies and pie and peas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like it. In in fact, 
some of the, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but you know, the atmosphere, it, it's almost like it creates itself. Mm. You know, once you put those, those pieces into place, it creates itself. Um, and I came over here and I worked um, at Daleside Brewery, which is in Harrogate. Right, okay. For a couple of years and making traditional English real ale, uh, which I loved doing. Um, and in, in, in retrospect, I loved it more than I did at the time, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, it, was, it was a lot of work. And it was cold. I remember being cold and working hard, but I loved, I loved the beer. The, just that simple Daleside bitter, I, I thought was fantastic. Mm. I loved it. Um, but I, we were living in Thursk, and I didn't want to live out in the country, and it felt like my life was just sort of... Uh, getting pathetic <laughs> to be honest with you and, and we decided to move back to Boston and which is crazy because you know it took all of our money to get over to the UK yeah. in the first place I, I had a job that as I just said I love but didn't really pay anything we got back to the US and Martha had eight grand that I think was given to her by her grandmother and so we paid to get over. We took the Queen Mary over with all of our stuff. We had to buy. They said you can take unlimited luggage on the Queen Mary. So we packed up all anything we could fit into a bag, and we put it underneath our bed in Queen Mary. And then we had a friend. We had like I don't know seven, nine giant heavy suitcases. We had a comedy of getting to a train and then train to. <laughs> and, uh, we uh, we actually did one of those things where we were all riding down an escalator in Grand, <laughs> Grand, Grand, uh, Penn Station, and we had more. We had all this luggage and we couldn't keep up with it. We we all just piled up at the bottom of the escalator. <laughs> but um, we so we got we got up to Boston and <clears throat> Martha said there was no jobs for there was no appropriate job for me at the time in Boston for for Brewer. And Martha said, you know, this eight grand from my grandmother, long deceased grandmother, um, it's going to be the only money we're going to have for a long time. And if you don't, if we don't do something with it now, it's going to be turned into like Ikea furniture. You know, we're going to be like spending on stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, So she's like, let's, let's start this business. And I had been drawing this picture of Jack Dorr and come up with this recipe and this concept that Saison is basically just a funky golden beer with with hops in it and that sort of thing. And we took that eight grand, we brewed one batch of beer, drew the labels, packaged it, got it out to market, and then then we had no money. Literally, Mm. literally broke. Like, I remember we were back in Boston and friends... Saying like, hey, let's go do something. And I was like, we've got three dollars. <laughs> we can't do anything. So you were kind of like betting the farm on this. Yeah, we kind of were, and we we kept on sitting over uh, the dining room table at night doing the math. Okay, if we sell all this beer, will we come ahead or will we just get money back? And we couldn't figure out. We were just such novices at at business, which blows my mind because I've been in the beer business. Mm. I've been selling beer for a long time, but completely different things. Yeah, we were like. <laughs> So, um, and we did, we sold that batch and we made money, which was just enough to make, you know, another batch and a half. And we did this for, you know, seven years Mm. (laughs) and it turned into, you know, I think our first year we sold, we opened in December, we sold $800 worth of beer 
And then two years later, we're doing over a million. Wow. So you're cookie brewing out of another <laughs> yeah, venue Yeah, the first place was a brewery in Holyoke, Massachusetts. That was a bit of a decrepit brewery called, I'm not going to say what, but... Um, <laughs> we can and, plug that out. Yeah. <laughs> <Beep>. <laughs> but um, then we... Um, then we moved to a brewery that was sort of on hard times. Um, it had some distributor problems called Buzzards Bay in Westport, uh, Mass., which is a very different animal. One place was very industrial city, and this was, a, this was out in a farm in a barn. Mm. Beautiful 50-barrel system and 100-barrel fermenters. And you know, they were at a stage, I think, where they, they, um, their suppliers, they couldn't get chemical, they couldn't buy chemicals. You know, they'd worn out all of their, their relationships because they were having such a hard time with a distributor. If you're with a bad distributor and you're signed, you're signed for life yep. in Massachusetts, you're kind of, if, if they take a disliking to your beer or you or they lose faith in it or someone else new comes along, you're just sort of stuck in this like uh, place where they don't even order from you. And just for some of our UK listeners who might not be familiar with the three-tier <coughs> system, can you just explain that quickly for them? Because obviously yeah. it works differently over here than it does in the States. Yeah, for some reason, after, um, after prohibition, it was decided that there was going to be this, there was going to be the system by which breweries couldn't have great influence. I don't know why. So of course, you know these dis- they there's these distributors. So if you're a brewery, you sell to a distributor. The distributor sells to bars and restaurants. So the distributors become pretty big yeah <laughs> you know and most of them in at least uh traditionally in uh the boston area which is what i'm mostly familiar with in new york city i suppose but um were budweiser houses that were oh, either owned and operated or were franchise uh, budweiser houses miller cores house or miller cores houses uh and then there are some independents um but yeah, if you're with a distributor and they don't want to sell your beer anymore, um, you're kind of in a bad situation. Yeah. You have to you have to jettison your brand. <laughs> right. You have to come up with completely new branding. Goodness. New beers. You could be sued if anything is similar. Yeah. Um, it's just like a complete yeah, shift. Yeah. Or you can ask them to sell your brand. You can say, please, can you sell my brand? And... Um, they will try to get as much money from it and maybe the other distributor would have to pay, let's say, a million dollars or $500,000 for a dead brand. Nobody's going to do that. So I think that was the sort of situation they were in and I think they were sort of having nice, happy lives so they weren't too fussed about that. So we were able to go in and they were old friends of mine and basically treat this brewery like it was ours. We filled the silo we bought chemicals, you know, we, we got that brewery humming again. <clears throat> and they're, you know, it worked out really well for, I think, I think for all of us, because they're, they have since gone on and they've built a beautiful tap room there and they're making their, they're making their own beer. I'm not sure if they have anyone else in brewing ever now, but at that point in time, you know, there's been certain times in, in Boston where it almost felt like craft beer was de- was gonna die, mm. and maybe that was more national. I don't know, but um, this was certainly one of those times. Like two thousand eight, uh, not a lot was going on, you know. And um, after we got going, <clears throat> of course, <laughs> everything started to happen. So we had about we had about a year where we were the only sort of new thing in town, which was which was kind of great for us. Yeah. Um, 
And um, yeah, after, <clears throat> after seven years of that, for various reasons, um, and some of them, um, not, maybe not the ones uh, that are obvious, like being sick of Boston winters and just wanting a new challenge and wanting a, wanting a smaller space, wanting our own space, wanting more creativity. It's, it's hard to be whimsical and creative when you have to do 100 barrel batches. <laughs> you know, yeah. Three person, four person company. Like it's, it is. And I was very jealous of all, you know, people being able to package in other packages. And I know if you go on the internet, everyone says, oh, they died because they, because Dan loves 22 ounce bottles. I don't have any love for 22 ounce bottles, but I know they're, ma- they're magical. Um, uh, volume because the perceived value of that of that size is 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 very good in the market and it's gone in waves too like Pete's Wicked Ale used to be this big thing back in the early 90s and they took over the they took over the, the whole US with their 22 ounce bottles of Pete's Wicked Ale from uh, Palo Alto California and um, at, they basically created that format Every brewery that wanted to be anything went into that format, 22-ounce bottle, and then overnight it disappeared. Literally yeah. disappeared. I was like, oh, what a shame. <laughs> um, and when uh, we started Pretty Things, which is what this company was called, I should say, that I've been talking about for the last five minutes. This is, this is Pretty Things Beer and Ale beer and Project. Ale yeah. Project, yeah. Um, I think, actually, the most influential part of Pretty Things was the project because we were the first project in beer and now it's just everyone's yeah. some kind of project it was a project for us because you know we thought it would be dead in 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 six months to be honest mm. we, we didn't want it to sound like we were going out of business we would just say oh, look the project has ended yeah <laughs> you know, <that's laughs> yeah. um yeah 100 barrels bombers i you know i would have liked to have been in uh you know, uh, the 11.2s or 33 centiliters like we are now yep. I'm doing bottle refermentation I would have liked to have been in cans, you know, I would have liked to have been in champagne bottles. And, you know, just before we decided when we were, we, when we were deciding to, to, to close up, <clears throat> there was opportunity to keep it going. And I was talking to, I was talking to a lot of different breweries about keeping it going and figuring out how we would do that while we went off the grid and traveled for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of them was St. Joseph's Abbey, who I've been involved with from the beginning of when they start when when they decided they wanted to build a Trappist brewery, um, and in that situation, you know, Jack Door would have been bottlery fermented by Trappist monks like that. That would have been a really nice ending to the story yeah. right there. Um, but I think um, it's really hard to to have a brand and, and not be involved with. It. I don't know how we would because it took up all our time doing what we just taking away the brewing wouldn't have been enough for us to you know. To, to be backpacking around Cambodia. You yeah, know, like yeah. we couldn't have done both at the same time. So, um, oh, it's getting us very, very close to the present. <laughs> yeah. So you, you ran Pretty Things um, in Boston for a number of years. Yeah. And in 2014, you called out a, a, a pay to play, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, which for our UK listeners is a sort of like under the table transactions where brewers and wholesalers offer cash and incentives to retailers and bar owners in exchange for guaranteed placements on tap handles. And that, obviously, that's that's not how the three-tier system is supposed to work. Right. Um, you know, that led to a bit of 
controversy is that the right kind of word yeah. like what, yeah. what what was that experience like um and what did you sort of learn through that um well the experience itself was uh, a bit it was hellish actually um i got all wound up and i had been wound up for many years i worked at several breweries that in the boston area that <clears throat> Pay to play was a reason why, one of the reasons why we couldn't get through that threshold. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was very obvious that, um, you know, all these breweries were coming and selling in Boston from California and doing really well. It's because they had distributors. Mm. You know, a lot of us were self-distributed back in the day. We didn't really know how to, how to play this game. And you'd go into a pub and they, they'd say, well, we'd like to try you out. Can you give us three kegs for free? And then if that works out well, of course, <clears throat> at the end of the third one, they go, oh, it went really well. Um, but we're, we're going to look at other places as well. You know, like that, that was. Yeah. Oh, gee, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just wrote the law for you. And now we get nothing to show for it. We'll and pay then, you an exposure. Yeah. Good old exposure. I know. Pays yeah. my mortgage. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like that is. Oh, yeah. It's so huge for us. Just 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 to have one three three by five inch tap handle in Boston. That is going to that is going to do it. It's going to pay the kids' college, you know. Like, but um, I've been wound up about it for many years. And uh, there was quite a few of us who were really getting riled up in Boston. A few, a few other brewers. I won't mention them, but they're probably still riled up about this, to be fair. And um, I kept on saying, I'm, I'm just going to talk about this. We Moth and I had already decided where 2016 was probably going to be our last year. And, mm. and I had this... Uh, we had uh, I read Steve Hindy's uh, Steve Hindy who's the yeah yeah Brooklyn Brooklyn he, Brewery yeah, he's a former journalist and he <clears throat> he started Brooklyn Brewery and he wrote a book and I was going to be on a panel that night with Steve Hindy Jim Cook from Boston Beer Company yep. um, Daniel Bradford who was with the Brewers Association my friend Will Myers from Cambridge Brewing Company in front of hundreds of people and I read Steve Hindy's book about his sort of take on the history of craft beer and and what he had been through. And I just could not believe the amount of, uh, I mean, first of all, he and Jim Cook were both on the panel as sort of sworn enemies, you know, yeah, <laughs> over yeah. the years and things. <laughs> and this book, I read it during the day before this panel, and it got me really wound up. Went out to dinner, I was talking to Steve Hindi, became apparent I was the only one in the panel who read the book. <laughs> Maybe I was the only one who had time to read the book, whatever. And I was like... I was like, oh, I want to talk about something tonight. And I was thinking about pay-to-play. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be sat here. I'm going to talk about pay-to-play. It's going to be great. I'm just going to get it off my chest. And the, there was a question, that, but it went to somebody else that would have been ideal for me to get. And I didn't get it. And I was frustrated. And I went home that night. And I remember just drinking tea, lying on the couch <laughs> with my phone. As it's like three o'clock in the morning. Everyone says I was drunk. If I was drunk, I, if I was drunk, I, I wouldn't have been so I wouldn't have been so foolish. <laughs> but I was drinking tea and uh, I was wound up and I probably put out I don't know ten tweets in a row. Um, and then some uh, there was a, a sort of beer magazine website that sort of amplified that yeah a hundred times over. I think they were trying to. Have me hang myself with my own rope, sort yeah. of. Ah, oh, good old the internet, good old internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, by the next day, I got a call that said uh, the, uh, the the chief investigator from the alcohol 
um, the, the, basically the, the, the alcohol police yeah. was looking for me. And I also had this idiot reporter in a live van driving around looking for me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this is bad. And the, uh, the investigator, he found us uh, a few days later at the brewery. And um, yeah, we had, we, we, uh, we had a talk with him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a, but it was, a, you know, it's something that I thought would be really good for, the, for craft beer in general because it has always, especially in the Northeast, always fighting against this. Even when we have a good distributor, they want you to pay into a system to. Yeah. To do to that they will match funds to 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 do marketing or whatever they, whatever euphemism they're mm. they're using. Um, so th- it's illegal, isn't it? In like it the le- three tier system, it's illegal. This is illegal. It's illegal. Ma- this was legal. Massachusetts legal in New York. Legal federally. Um, yeah, it's 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 illegal. And you know, should it be illegal? I don't know. I mean, maybe it should be legal. You know, uh, then we can you know have crowdfunding for pay to play. You know, everything yeah. everything will work out. But. Um, you know, I li- I liked our distributor, I I really did, um, but and I don't think, I don't think they were the they're the worst. They I don't think they were the worst. I don't think they are the worst. I don't think, I don't. There's there's many worse. Um, I think it's a the system is totally corrupt at in that in that level in that way. It's not we're not talking mafia. Yeah. We're just talking about you know a guy walking in and and. Uh, and having to give a check to, to, to a bar to pour a beer. The problem is it, that doesn't work for us. And, it's, and it's, I'm sure it has diminishing results for, for big breweries as well. Mm. And, um, you know, but there are craft breweries that are doing it. And we're not talking just Anheuser-Busch. I'm talking small craft breweries do it as well. So, like... Uh, it seems very much against the heart of craft beer, don't you think? Yeah, I don't think... I think there's this imaginary craft beer right. that has never really existed. On the internet, people always talk about, well, I love the collaborative spirit of craft beer, all this other stuff. But, you know, that exists to some degree, but, like, that's usually, all that stuff was always between brewers. Mm. Then there's always the, the other side where you have to sell the beer, and that's not easy when there's a lot of beer. Yeah. When generally um, people are okay with, the average quality of beer um you know there's a million reasons why it's hard it's hard to sell beer it's hard to it's hard to sell beer and grow and sustain growth there's a lot of breweries that were doing pay to play in a big way that were from you know the west coast and they thought they were they thought you know going to you know selling beer in the and doing really well in new york and boston and places like this you know, was was great, and one day they'll have to build an East Coast brewery, and then mm. you know, uh, and and then all of a sudden, finally, you know, places like Boston and New York have breweries that people want to drink, and they're doing really well, and you know, you you get uh, you have breweries that are now desperate to unload beer because they have two hundred barrel yeah. you know brew houses <laughs> and and loans to pay and stuff like that. So it's something that I think naturally happens. Uh, in in beer and to be you know to be realistic you know I we got calls sometimes from business development uh, distributors we were in they're like yes this new bars opening they'd love to have you on on um, opening that oh fantastic yeah it's three hundred three hundred dollars a line I'm like why the f- why the fuck would anyone do that like mm. in, in my position yeah so 
Wow. So, yeah. So after that experience then, so you, you decided to, was, was that a catalyst for you thinking, that's it, we're going to stop? Or, I mean, did you already, I mean... I wouldn't have, well, I wouldn't have done it if I thought I was putting our lives in peril yeah. financially. We had already known we wanted to move on. We wanted to move on creatively. Yep. Um, you know, we wanted to be out of the snow. We had a, you know, we would drive, we were an hour and a half from our brewery, so we would drive in snowstorms. And, you know, I remember one time a, a truck pirouetting in front of us on the highway. And I thought, wow, one of these days, it's just, you know. <laughs> yeah, you'll be going a little bit too fast. Yeah, and Yeah, whatever, you know, like. I'm I'm sick of, I'm sick of, basically we were both sick of it we were burnt out yeah we were burnt out uh, you know we we were burnt out from our you know those first few years where we said yes to every you know every project everything we just wanted something smaller mm. we wanted to have a, a different kind of life than what we we're having so we knew that and then you know when we when we did this whole pay to play thing, well, it became very obvious very quickly that um, it was going to be an uncomfortable existence in the beer industry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know there you know there are people who 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 hate me for it. Mm. You know, in the beer industry, friends of mine, um, people who had previously respected me or liked me or whatever. Um, so. And at the same time, there's other people who are like, who think I'm just a nutcase who just, you know, but I'm, I'm still proud of, of, uh, of, of, of that, you know, um, would I take it back? I think I, I, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it because I think it, it was hard for, for me and Martha. Yeah. Um, I never thought I would be above the fold in the Boston Globe. Mm. Like that article that like, that's, you know, that's where Super Bowl championships go and stuff yeah. like that like it was my stupid tweet but um uh i've been recently made aware there's something like 90 investigations across the u.s in pay to play so in that sense i know i've done something positive for the smaller brewery who's trying to to sell their beer um i know it and it, it wasn't a selfish move because we didn't want to we didn't really want to be around too much longer and um you know Sales is not does not make me wake up in the morning. You know, making more money. Okay, I made enough. <laughs> like, I worked in. You know, I don't want to go back to seven thousand uh, dollars a year. But I think this year I will have done less than seven thousand dollars a year, uh, or certainly last year I did. But um, you know, uh, sometimes you, uh, you know, it just becomes part of your history. And, yeah. You know, and uh, I I wish well all the people. Uh, that you know were were affected by that so when you kind of you know closed the doors as it were and that was it, that's it you drew a line under the project like how, how did how did that kind of feel and then how long was it before you decided to come to in, back to england and what, why well, did you want to come back to england t- it took a long time first first thing was um and very bizarrely like we had the start of 2000 Fifteen, we had three cats, and we wouldn't have moved anywhere. Uh, there was an older one who died, and then um, we had two mysteriously go. Mm. Just very strange. And then we're like, "Oh, we don't have cats. We're free, to, free to." So, um, 
So we, we packed everything up, um, put it into storage, and we were just going to go and see what, what we could do with our lives, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I think we ended up going to 34 countries, worked on farms in Italy, and uh, backpacked all the way through Vietnam. And really, I, I, I think I started off thinking I wouldn't get back into beer because I'd, I'd had the success... And I'd had the failures, and I've had, well, I had, I had all failure, small success, good enough for me, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, and I, I was just trying to design a new sausage. I was maybe I'll get in a sausage business. <laughs> like, I remember being, being on the Queen Mary, drawing pictures of sausages wow. that I would try to sell. Super, I don't know what I was thinking. Craft sausage. Yeah. You had air first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, and as time went on, we we're like you know what, it'd kind of be nice to have a little brew, the tap room, and, you know, we can we can drive or walk or bike to the brewery in the morning, that sort of thing. So that is um, where we started to look at farm. Well, we, the first place we looked was uh, Manchester. And the very first place, we're, oh, we'll put a brewery in Manchester. We'll just get one of them railway arches and away, away we go. And... Um, we didn't get a good feel for Manchester while we were there. <clears throat> we went over to Leeds, and we really liked Leeds. Didn't seem to find any kind of... Um, I don't want to offend anyone here in Sheffield by saying we really like Leeds. We didn't settle in Leeds. That's so. it. I'm, I'm walking out. <laughs> <laughs> Inchies over. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, Leeds was shit. No, yeah. no. <laughs> we couldn't find any place we wanted to live or build a brewery. Um, and at that stage... Martha was like, let's just move back to the U.S. Um, and we booked uh, Airbnb in Asheville, North Carolina, which is sort of like a modern Burton-on-Trent. There's a lot of big yep. breweries there and small breweries, whatever. And we, we, we had it for a month, this, this Airbnb, and we're like, we're going to look for a brewery space. We're going to look for a neighborhood to live in. We're just going to build a brewery in Asheville. And we we got out of the plane got into our car by the time we arrived at our airbnb we decided we, this was place wasn't for us uh, and i think there was a lot of i was i was still feeling sick to my stomach over the election which happened when we were in it was the worst day in when we were in cambodia we we're in cambodia and we had just been through this horrible horrible museum about you know everything that went on there and in the uh with the khmer rouge and mm. stuff and and it was this populist movement and all this other stuff, and then that happened, and I've 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 not gotten rid of that sickness. So like, if I see any signs of of Trumpism, I'm 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 not not happy anymore. Like and that, but um, but I think more than that is uh, you know we're really affected by the some of the poverty we saw there. Like it was not I don't I didn't really I didn't really get it there. There's great beer. There's really not. There's really nice people there, but it wasn't for us. Mm. And we, I literally spent that month um, getting a visa to come back here. <laughs> like that's it. And so um, we came back and we started the whole process again. And like I said, France, blah blah blah. And my goodness, I don't know why we spent so long going everywhere under the sun but Sheffield, but. I remembered we had driven through here once when we were going camping in the in the peaks or something like that, years and years ago. And I remember, um, you know, I had been up in uh, North Yorkshire. I remember a delivery guy once 
making a crack about Sheffield. I'm like, all right, I get it. Sheffield's shit. Okay, all right. And But we drove through here on the way to the peaks one time, and I saw the trolley. I'm like, oh, it's a real city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that's what I thought. I'm like, so it was in the back of my head. I'm like, we haven't looked at Sheffield, and it's right there. I looked at a map because... Uh, you know, Americans can't. They, they have no idea what's what. You know, all of a sudden, you're like, there's another country over there to the west? Like, th- that doesn't make sense. They don't all know the Queen? <laughs> <laughs> so, you um, mean you didn't go to Oxford? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And then we, so we drove through here, and I saw all the old industry uh, buildings and empty buildings. And then I started seeing the neighborhoods. I saw the Botanic Garden. Mm. And... You know, if you drive too far, all of a sudden you are in the peaks. And uh, and the fact that it was known, I, I did see that report that was done. I don't yeah. yeah. And you know what? That's enough to bring in a brewery right there. Um, you know, it had the same sort of draw as Asheville did, is we can be one of many. where So it will allow us maybe to be more creative because we don't have to be the local brewery. You yeah. know what I mean? We don't have that. that. So we were completely sold right away even though it took a year to find the actual site for the brewery we're totally sold on on this place and we still do love it you know even if we go belly up in six months we won't think we'll have made a mistake you know so just sort of talk us through the process of um finding a location because it's not it's not easy finding a brewery having it myself (laughs) no the well it's made hard because um you know, we're considered here by the planning people, breweries are considered heavy industry. Mm. Now, Udukumpu is making s- steel over there or pickling steel. That's heavy industry. You know, taking, you know, grass and, and adding hot water <laughs> should not be um, heavy industry. So, um, and the other, the other problem is, you know, you see all these industrial buildings but they, some of them haven't been industrial for a while. If in Sheffield, way the city council look, or whatever you call this, the council looks at this, um, is if that building has not been industrial for more than six months, like if somebody paid to store their RV or what do you call them? Uh, tri- uh, a caravan. Caravans. <laughs> yeah, the caravan. We're scared of caravans, us Americans. They're always coming up through Mexico. All this stuff. Um, <laughs> No, the, um, yeah, if you store, if, you, if somebody pays to store the caravan in your, in your factory site, then it's no longer considered um, industrial, not the, the level of industrial you need for a brewery. So then you have to get a change of, change of use. So we ran into that, at, well, every site, except for this one. <laughs> yeah. And it was, a, it was a becoming a, a waste of money, a big waste of time, a big frustration um, we almost packed up and moved to Germany. Like we literally wow. almost bought a brewery in German in yeah. Franconia during the during this whole thing. Um, and uh, the first site we saw that we could get, we you know, was industrial was this site. Mm. It is. It's it's a, it's an industrial site. It's been industrial since it stopped being the uh, Davy Rolls or Castmaster Rolls yep. building. So we finally found the site and it it was the better part of a year I think yeah so just describe to our listeners your brew house and your tap room I mean you've got some decent kit going on including a cool ship yes so uh, you, you just just sort of describe um, you know the equipment okay. and how you managed to sort of finance that and all right so well 
Martha and I have a, a cash policy. We don't do debt at all. So mm. all this is money that was from Pretty Things Beer and Ale Project. So, um, and we're all self, self-funded. We don't have investors or anything like that. So we, um, we have a 10 hectoliter Moschle system. And Moschle is a German company mostly known for making wine, wine equipment. Right, okay. Um, but um, they have been making brewing equipment for me for 20 years. I'm probably wrong about that. But they're, they have a Sheffield headquarters for Moschle UK. Mm. Uh, or they have a Moschle UK that is headquartered in Sheffield. And uh, very conveniently, about five minutes from here. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was able to do some of the design on the equipment and using their expertise for the stuff I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not passionate about, like, uh, you know, pumps and things. Because <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't, there's not enough room in my brain to know which pump to use and stuff like that. But um, of course, they, they're incredible over there. Um, yeah. And so we have these. We're really small. We only have two 2,000 uh, liter fermentation vessels, but <clears throat> we decided to do that because we wanted to have very special ones that were rated for three bars so that we could do spunding, so we can carbonate in the, in the yeah. vessel during fermentation. That was a big one for us. <clears throat> and um, it's an infusion system. I haven't done infusion mashes since I was back last here in England. <laughs> So, I've been basically brewing like a German. Um, what doing decoction? Yeah, well, yeah. Pretty things we did. We did du- doubles and triple decoction, single wow. decoction sometimes. But we would do. Um, we had a mash kettle, so you go in and you have a paddle. Yeah. You had steam jackets, and you can dial in any temperature, and it was great. Here, I'm like having to know the temperature of <laughs> of the air. Oh, we've and, all been there. And the thermal <laughs> mass of the. Oh yeah. So, oh, it's awfully winter, isn't it? Yeah. When he's kind of like, this should be hotter than this. And it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> I can't believe that I'm taking 85 degree liquor to try to get to 65 degree Yeah, it's mash. insane, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm back on the infusion bandwagon. And um, it's, it's kind of been kicking our butts a little bit, <laughs> to be honest, to get, get us back there. Um, which I think, you know, no one has too much sympathy who's been doing this for, you know, in England, you know, everyone does this insane infusion mash. So, um, I just got to get with the program. Yeah. Um, and then we've got, we do have a cool ship, which right now, um, has frustrated some people that were, were not already Cantillon, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but, but we're using it, um, you know, we're, we're cool pooling or whatever you mm. call that. We're cool cool cooling um yeah we're, we're throwing hops in um you know what would normally be in the u.s would be a whirlpool edition you know sort of late on uh so we're trying to hit your 75 80c mm. um with that so we're using that in every batch the cool thing was what you know when we designed this brewery and we imagined this brewery i imagined it having a character of its own because it really brought in a lot of old European stuff. You know, we definitely wanted to have uh, whole cone hops in the, in the kettle. I know you all do that here, but it's really important to me because we're only pellets in the U.S. We can't right. put them in the kettle because it doesn't work. Mm. They get stuck. Um, we wanted to, be, but we also wanted to be able to use pellets, you know, um, and we wanted the um, ability to do the splending. We wanted the cool ship. Um, 
we have a bright beer tank that's got a paddle in it so that we could suspend sugar so that we can do proper bottle refermentation. Yeah. So, so in fact, the, the brewery has a lot of character and we have to learn how to partner better with the brewery. Mm. <laughs> and that's what we're finding is like, oh, this is, a, this is a different animal completely, you know. And one of the reasons why we did that is we're, my main inspiration for breweries are or has traditionally been uh, my first trips to Belgium in the mid-90s, where you go to places like uh, Dodola, for instance, where it's a young, cool guy at the time, um, was into making good beer, and he found himself taking over this old brewery with, with a mind of its own, really. And um, some great beers came out of the partnership between the old and the new uh, there. And... That is what I wanted to create here um, as much as possible. I always say, like, the Deux Breweries are, um, are really inspirational to us. Uh, Doranka, De Dola, De La Seine, mm-hmm. even De Molin. Um, and, and you'll see a lot of that character, bitterness, and, uh, and uh, not necessarily making beers of st- uh, style, you know, not, not brewing to... To style just making good beer, you know, like the way people used to think about, you know, what we now call craft beer and we're all doing. Um, it was just people trying to make good beer, you know. In the early days when I was a young brewer, nobody was talking about craft beer. We're like, you know, I came from the cultureless America. We had nothing. We had, you know, paps cans and, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had prohibition that wiped out probably anything that was interesting away. So... Like, we didn't think we were making craft beer. We were just like, can we finally make good beer in this country? That was the sort of thing. <laughs> and it's funny to see it this many years on where it's like hashtag craft beer and hashtag brewer's life and all this. And, you know, and it appears that, you know, in 50 years' time, you know, there's going to be one kind of beer. Because you were saying before we start recording how cyclical it is. You know, you've got that kind of expanse of being able to see it from, from the 80s up to now. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of um, brewers nowadays, you know, in their 20s and sort of 30s, they haven't got that. No. Um, I mean, like, where do you sort of see it going? Um, have, having got that sort of wider view, what, where do you see the beer industry and, and beer culture heading over the next five years? Well, I think that, you know... We're going to get closer and closer to that. You know, everyone's making IPA everywhere in the world um, sort of thing. Um, You know, and I don't see good things for traditional breweries unless something changes. Yeah. Um, Because obviously, you know, best bitters and stuff get described as sort of twiggy beers and we've got some good twigs in that, you know. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is unfortunate, I think, because actually, you know, one of my favourite beers is um, London Pride from Fuller's. Yeah. You know, it's just a straight-up best bitter, but it's, you know, it's full of character, full of flavour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it. I mean, when we, we like to go down to Franconia, and, and we have friends down there, and we go around to breweries, and we're just drinking pale lager, basically. Yeah. All the time. And some of them are absolutely brilliant. But, you know, the, you know, the problem is once a traditional brewery goes, and you, you can see them, they're like, there were traditional breweries here in, in this city, and it's, it's a shame there's not one grand old brewery still mm. still doing something. Once they go, they you, they can't be resurrected. They're just too expensive. It's yeah. like you know, it's like some of these um, these posh mansion houses. They're like more. 
more expensive in the modern times to heat them than it would have been to build them or something yeah, like that, totally. you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, I have a few predictions on techno where te technology is going to go with beer, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, in terms, every time you try to guess, you know, the, the safest bet is like, will there be more... Will there be more hoppy beers in general? Yes, it's all the yes is always the answer to that. So, um, so you know, yeah. So selling beer in a city that's got more breweries per capita than any other city in the UK is no mean feat. Like, how, how do you find selling? How how? Because I remember when I came before Christmas, yeah, um, and charity, you were saying like everyone in the states when you say you're opening breweries, like oh, it's amazing, you know. Yeah. Whereas no one gives a shit here. No, they don't. <laughs> Uh, it's like a, I, we were joking that it's a conversation and <laughs> hey I'm opening a brewery alright yeah good <laughs> what can I get for you yeah. <laughs> um, that sort of thing uh, we're kind of mystified by it but I, I like that we wanted to we wanted a challenge and I like I, uh, you know I like everything about this place so mm. I'm probably going to like the way beer is sold I have, I have a feeling but I don't know what that is yet yeah. <laughs> but we're at the same time what we're trying to do is we're trying to build um, a few beers you know um, we want to have more than just two beers and you know we want to show a good range of what we can do before we really start pounding the pavement yeah but, um, uh, I think it's a matter of getting to know people people were taken I, I didn't spend a lot of time trying to publicize that we're coming here I want I literally wanted to open the doors and people would be like oh my god <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> and which is how we did pretty things I remember meeting our distributor <clears throat> the night we we unveiled pretty things um, and he came in he's like apparently I'm distributing this brewery oh uh, yeah no idea just it's I don't like to hype things I just like to you know people have a natural so We've been opening the tap room and getting to know people, and you know it, it, anyone listening to this who's familiar with our location or isn't, look at it. Look it up on Google Maps right now. It's not. It's not. Um, it's a bit off the beaten track. You haven't walked. So. You haven't walked by it on the way to the post office. <laughs> yeah. <somewhere> that way. <laughs> Unless you like taking detours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's one of the good things is you know we are called St. Mars of the Desert, so you have to go to the most exotic location <laughs> to find us. Yeah. <laughs> that worked out but it's a great little tap room I mean you've got a wood burning sort of stove to keep people warm yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, blankets yeah a bit parky <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but it's you know it's 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 great and you know and, and the reports I've heard from people I've talked to really enjoy coming here and trying the beer and yeah it's it's a really it's a nice little scene in there it it, it does remind me of so many you know, even little beer stubes I've been to in Franconia or tap rooms I've been to in the mm. U.S. And um, it kind of made itself. So we were here for so long, you know, we had to bring in all the utilities for the brewery. And it was just such a long process of building this place that yeah. that was the tap room. Like, that's why there's so much stuff on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're like, oh, we are a corner. We could throw, do some more experimenting on. And um, we're putting, we're installing eight taps in the wall now. Presently, we're just pouring out of the linders. Right. And we're going to have eight taps coming out of the wall. Um, so that when people come here, they can taste all the crazy stuff that we're going to be doing. Amazing. Um, and we're about to get a fooder in from Germany. So Great. we have a wooden fermentation vessel to do all kinds of wow, stuff nice. with. So, you know, we're, um, we're here to be fun for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the idea. And, um, uh, yeah, so 
We'll, you know, I'll get back to you on on selling beer in Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to figure that part out. But um, you know, the important thing is is making the good beer and really, really get sinking our teeth into like how how to do it in this new system. Mm. Uh, I, you know, there's weird water. You know, there's weird water in town. Yeah, we have guest water in town. It's ooze water. I wish it would ooze back to York. <laughs> but it's just weird. Um, I can't wait to whatever is going on with the uh, reservoir to be resolved. Yeah, to for get sure. that nice, uh, famously soft Sheffield water back mm. <laughs> instead of this. Just before we round up, I'm just yeah. quite curious. What would you say the main differences between the US beer industry and market and the UK one that you've observed? Wow. So yeah, this so this is something actually that Martha and I talk about all the time because we can be fooled into thinking things are similar. But that is true with America and England in general, like Mm. superficially because we have the same language and some, we have some of the same last names and things. You can, you can fool yourself into thinking we're very similar. In fact, Americans and and English are almost polar opposites (laughs) in every way. Americans are serious and earnest and, and get very excited about things, and then that's the opposite of I think how you would describe the tip, you know, the the mass English personality. Um, and I, if I'm offending anyone or saying anything that I'm not intending to, please let me know. <laughs> um, but um, even in just saying that, you've probably just offended most of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> probably. All right. All right. Hopefully, there's not too many of them. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So. Uh, and uh, I I love it. I should say I love it here. I love English people. I'm married to one. Um, I love English beer. I love traditional English beer. Um, so the different. Uh, so here's the big. Here are the big differences. Um, one is uh, that the, because you know we've decided to go into the, sort of what they call the craft category here. Mm. Um, the craft category is actually a niche here. Um, I think Americans wouldn't really get that because. Craft is all-encompassing in the U.S. So you go into a bar, and if you you look at the keg list, you look at you know a four. You look at all the all the beers are in keg, right? So you can do the you can brew the whole range from from boring to exciting to drinkable to weird to undrinkable, which we do which we do a lot of in the U.S. Yeah. As well. But um. Here, because the the re, the real ale takes up a lot of the a lot of the space that um, I'm normally try I I try to be creative in that space and that that's really is stuff in in cask here. So when you're trying to get on draft in or trying to get your kegs on in a bar here, you have to be more weird and wonderful. Sort yeah, of stuff definitely. So that that's something I've I've learned that is very different. Um, <clears throat> On the on the positive side is you don't have to sign with a distributor for life. <laughs> you can sign, you can sell to any distributor any time that you want to, um, as long as you know they're convinced they can sell the beer. I think they'll take it right. Um, in the U.S., we can't give. Um, well, in Massachusetts, it's very restrictive. There's a happy hour is illegal. You can only run a special for a month. Wow. Yes, same price has to go to everyone. So, for instance, um, I can't decide what I'm going to charge one person or another. It all has to be the same. If I'm going to discount a beer, it has to be for everyone for a month. Here, 
we can kind of do it. You can do it on the fly if you want. Yeah. To. So yeah. at the end of that month, then it's kind of like if you've still got I don't know ten kegs left and a load of cans of bottles and stuff. That that's it. You can't sell that now. Your special is only. Uh, you can't sell it at that price. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, those are those are two biggies. Maybe. Um, it, it's weird because like. I, I never expected this to happen. This is the strangest thing to me, and it's it's been happening for 10 years, but, like, craft beer just replicates itself. It's like, you know, you're the local franchise of craft beer when you open a brewery now, and it, I, I really, I'm, I'm not cool with that. <laughs> but, but, like, this is the industry I'm in, you know? People, people want things that they've seen on the internet. They want things that they tasted at beer festivals yeah. that came from another country, you know? <clears throat> people brought unique products to this country and they sold. So other people made them too. And then they're looking for other unique products. So still, it tends to be that we all, you were all lockstep together. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like, there's not, there's a, a, a certain amount of innovation, mm. but actually deep down, not really. You know, yeah. you might get a few people that... I mean, this is... I, I was talking to um, Richard at Magic Rock uh, the other week, and he we were sort of saying how, um, you know, they changed all their can design because mm. at first the little monsters that were on their cans really mm. stood out. Then all of a sudden, everyone were putting little, like, little cartoons yeah. on cans and stuff. Yeah. So they changed it to sort of like a, a sort of geometric sort of shapes and patterns. And then you start to see people trying to imitate that. Or Cloudwater yeah. in Manchester, you know, they, yeah. they used to write on their labels, all their ingredients, the hops and the yeah. malts and on the yeast strains and so on. But all of a sudden, because their double IPAs took off, mm. then everyone started brewing double IPAs mm-hmm. and so on. So they, they made a conscious decision to say, we're going to take that information off. Yeah. Once it's more clear to consumers, um, yeah. you know, about what kind of flavour they're getting rather than just a hot profile. Yeah. But secondly, to force other breweries to stop doing what they called quote unquote cover songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Being like some kind of glorified covers band and yeah. to innovate and, and come up with sort new styles of beer yeah in the uh with all the with the labels i've seen it we've lived through that in the u.s like all of a sudden we walked into a we walked into a, a shop and we noticed like oh man every it, our beer doesn't stand out at all anymore we're all going in the same direction so you switch it up and probably someone else is thinking that just before you someone just after you some copy and you some whatever we're all in the going in the same direction again oh man you know it's it shows you like um, we're, we're very responsive yeah. to everything in craft beer. Like we don't have to be, <laughs> we, but it pays off in the sales. I think I, I really think that that is here. It's really it's t- tough because the margins are so slim. Ah, here's the other thing. The biggest thing is <laughs> the difference between the U.S. and here. I calculated that our taxes on the beer that we just paid our first taxes on. Seven times what we paid in the US. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah, seven times. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting healthcare. I like that. That's great. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to look at the spreadsheet and figure out where, uh, where you're gonna get money to get like, um, you know, to 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 get a piece of equipment to test the oxygen, and you're, you're like, where am I gonna get this? you know, three grands to, to better my brewery from out of this pool mm. of money, you know, so you really have to, that's why I think the, uh, the tap room be important so we don't have to, we, if we go directly to the public, you know, we, uh, get bigger margins and yeah, get be- better margins and better fun as a 
as a brewer as well. I mean, so. it's really tough on on brewers that um, you know all the taxation and, yeah. and you know and and this comes back to the whole sort of cask keg sort of debate that's mm. been going around in the UK for a while. Um, you know, people just aren't prepared to pay that kind of premium price for cask because it's not historically being viewed as a premium kind of product. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it amazes me when I still talk to brewers and it's a revelation when they're like, hang on, I can put the same beer in a keg and sell sort of less volume of it, 30 litres rather yeah. than just over 40 litres for more money because <laughs> it's in a keg. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because it's cold and fizzing in a keg. Yeah. And, you know, it's... um. But it's, it, it's really sad because it's tough for, for like you say, um, brewers often aren't, you know, they haven't got limitless funds and no. w- or wealthy people that and most brewers get into it because they love it yeah. and they love beer and they love the process of brewing. Yeah. Um, but to, to try and build your brewery from within without external investments really, really it's, tough. It's crazy. Like in the US, you, you make money so quickly. Um, that you you see how how rich some of these breweries get very very fast, um, and even there the Brewers Association is trying trying to fight against trying to lower taxes for for brewers. You know, I was one of the few people. Well, who who the hell knows? It was probably one of many many thousands. But you know, I thought we can afford to in the U.S. We could afford to be taxed a little bit more, and then we'll have more power and say as an industry. Mm. Um, but um, boy, I like somewhere in the I like somewhere in the middle. You know, small businesses is one of the few. You know, breweries right now, craft beer in the in the world is one one of the few industries that's growing and changing and making more fun and better fun for in people's lives. And <clears throat> not not that we're doing anything important, but like, you know, uh, at a time, especially at these this time, you know, in this when you see small businesses are. Uh, opening and thriving in this country, I think it it's a it would be a good thing to um, potentially have a little bit more cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Dan. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you've got a website which is yes, it's uh, what they call www.beerofsmod.co.uk. Does that jive with what you see on your screen? Uh, it's not on my screen, but <laughs> okay. I, I'll, I'll, yeah. It is Beer of Smod. I think, yeah, Beer of Smod. Go- Google it. But like I said earlier, the best place for anyone wanting to find out more about you is by paying a visit to the brewery and tap Come room. Come to the tap room, yeah. Look, up, look for our hours on our social media um, because it's so cold right now. I, I think uh, <laughs> you wouldn't want, a lot of people wouldn't want to be here. Um, uh, in the in the very cold days, so we don't open on them. Right. Probably, okay. Yeah. For fairies. So one one last question. What what's the biggest piece of advice you'd give to anyone looking to hop forward and get ahead in their own beer business? I think opening a brewery is a good idea. Um, if you could find a way to to do it well and cheaply and have a nice life and make sure you can pay yourself and you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna regret it because it's a great life um, and it's been a great life for me and. Uh, I, I gave up a career in journalism <clears throat> now and to for you know for a brewing career there was no brewer, brewing in this craft beer industry when I started and uh, journalists were were doing well <laughs> <laughs> so you never know what's going to come forward I mean it could be the worst thing you do for a while start a brewery because you're gonna you're gonna lose all your you're gonna lose uh, all your money <laughs> by pumping it into this brewery but um you know, it might be in two years' time. It might be the best thing you ever did. So 
I, I, I think it's a good idea. But even more importantly, you know, go out and enjoy craft beer and support it and support local. And, and you can't say it too much because if you don't support these things, they do go away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Dan. All right, cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Ford Podcast this week. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers, and visit our website, hotforward.beer, for more articles, insights, and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Until next time, cheers. Right,